word today. He would help us not to miss what you have for each of us and for all of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to ask you this morning, if you are a victim, if you are a victim of identity theft, is your identity under attack? Now, you don't have to reach for your wallet right now just to check and make sure you still have it, all right? I'm not talking about did somebody steal your wallet or your iPhone? Did they hack your computer and get all your passwords and now they're busy while you're here at church, they're busy at home making purchases in your name, using your money without your permission? That's not what I'm talking about when I'm asking if you're a victim of identity theft. As frustrating, as upsetting, as damaging as that can be, I'm talking about something far worse, far more important. I'm asking this morning if your identity as a child of God is under attack. And if if you are actively being opposed by those who would want to steal your identity. So we talked a couple of weeks ago as we walked through this series on our identity and who am I, what it means to know that we are, in fact, God's creation. So I know as I look across this room today that we are all God's creation because he did, in fact, create each of us. He created all of us. But we saw last week that some of us are God's children, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he has done. And the way he's made that possible, by receiving Jesus, who he is, and believing in his name, who he is and what he has come to do as the son of God to rescue us, to pay for our rebellion and make it possible for us to now become and be called children of God. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, you might be walking through a time in your life, a period over which you are hearing the voice of Satan whisper, sometimes shout, and repeatedly tell you his lies. His lies that are meant to discourage you. His lies that are meant to deceive you, to distract you. His lies that are meant to plant seeds of doubt deep in your heart. And the more you hear them and the more you you listen to them, the more you begin to wonder. You have moments and days where your, your heart starts to waver. And you hear his voice as he whispers into your ear, you're not really a child of God. Look at you. Come on. God wouldn't want you. God certainly wouldn't keep you. You're a disaster. And these words keep coming. The words keep coming. And they chip away at at your heart and distract you and discourage you. They come over and over again, and they grow louder and louder over time. They come from different sources and different directions, but their ultimate source is from Satan himself. In the passage that Bruce read for us just moments ago from Ephesians chapter 6, we are told, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. All the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're told to take up the shield of faith, 
with which we can quench these flaming arrows that are slung our way. Trusting God and what God says and rejecting the lies that Satan would try to plant in our hearts and our minds. We're to take up the helmet of salvation and plant that on guarding our minds, knowing the truth about what it means to be God's child. And that it doesn't matter how I feel or what the voices that are coming into to me this morning have to say, I can know that I am saved and I am God's child. Taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is in fact the Word of God. Knowing the Word, surrendering to the Word, soaking in the Word. Allowing the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and use it in my life and my heart and my mind. And then use it through my life, even as I repel and reject these lies that come, these attacks that come, as I respond with the truth of the Word of God. We saw last week in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him to all who believed in his name, God gave the right, Jesus gave the right to be called the children of God. What a gift. Our world talks about identity theft. How many people want to talk about identity gift? This is the ultimate identity gift. To be given the right to be called God's child? That changes everything. It changes everything. It is a precious, precious thing. In Romans chapter 8, we read this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. What is Romans 8 telling us there? It's telling us that when Satan comes and says, you're not really God's child. That there's a difference between his voice and the voice of the Spirit of God. And that I can tell the difference. And here's the difference. When the Spirit of God speaks into someone's life and says, you are not God's child. It is a voice that comes with conviction to say, you need to receive Jesus for who he is. You need to believe in Jesus for who he is. And you need to become God's child. Come. You're not there. You're on the outside looking in. Come and embrace Jesus and become God's child. If you are God's child, the voice of the Spirit comes and testifies with our spirit that we are, in fact, God's children. Bringing confidence and reassurance and encouragement. The voice of Satan comes, and he does not convict that we might change. He condemns that we might be discouraged and weighed down and distracted and totally give up. He comes to condemn and confuse. You're not really God's child. Ha! Look at you. That is the voice of the evil one. And so as he slings this flaming arrow at God's people this fiery dart, to say you're not really God's child, to discourage you, to confuse you, to weigh you down. There are other arrows 
that are on their way to. And as we stand with the Word of God in our hands, the helmet of salvation on, the knowledge of the truth, and the shield of faith against that attack and say, no, the Spirit of God confirms with my spirit that I am His child, no matter what Satan has to say. As we stand, holding that shield, repelling that arrow, there are three more flaming darts that are probably on their way to reinforce that attack, reinforce that argument, and come and try to damage your heart. And this morning we want to look in Romans chapter 8 at what three of these flaming darts may be that are on their way when Satan's attacking your identity as a child of God. And what does God say about how to handle those? What is the truth about where you stand and who you are? So I encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. As we look at what God says, so that we can in fact be people who stand holding this shield, wearing this helmet, wielding this sword, confident in our relationship with Him. Romans chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, this is following up on talking about our suffering and the suffering of Christ. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The first of these flaming arrows that comes as Satan is attacking us, even as the Spirit of God is saying, no, you're mine. That first arrow that comes is simply this. God's not really for you. Come on. God's against you. Look at your life. Look at your circumstances. Your life is painful and difficult. Things haven't turned out the way you hoped or planned. 
Look at your financial need. Things are a mess. Look at your relationships. Dysfunctional, destroyed, falling apart. Look at work. Really? This is what God has for you? Your health is falling apart. Look at where you are and what you're doing. Hmm. If God was for you, wouldn't things be going a whole lot better? Wouldn't you be happier and things would be going smoothly? And that arrow comes from the heart of the evil one to distract you and discourage you. God's against you. Look at your circumstance. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever had somebody plant that in your heart, in your mind? Have you ever found yourself wandering into those dark corners? And starting to think and feel and ask those same things? When that attack comes, what do we do? We grab the shield of faith and we hold it up and say, I will not listen to your voice. I will trust and listen to the voice of God. The one who says here in his word, that we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And the problem is that when Satan comes after you on this, on this issue, he will even sometimes quote that verse. And he will use others to quote that verse, and he'll bring that verse to mind, and he'll put a great big fat period right at the end. Of verse 28 of Romans 8. And you'll say, well, that's what the Bible says. If I am God's and I'm truly called by him and I'm his, then everything's supposed to be working together for good and this doesn't look or feel good at all. So maybe I am on the outside looking in. How does this add up? And the problem is that we take these verses and we rip them right out of where they are and we make these little teachings about them and we don't focus on what's really going on. You see, that's in the middle of a paragraph. And so we keep reading. And when that attack comes, we take the shield of faith and you say, I don't just believe Romans 8.28. I also believe Romans 8.29, which says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And I can look confidently at the one slinging this arrow and say, in these circumstances, I don't like them, I don't enjoy them, I don't fully understand them, but I do know this. God is at work making me to be more like Jesus. And I might not see it right now, but that's the plan. And he works everything together for that good, my good, which is his glory as I become more like Christ. And so as I walk through this, it's not that God's against me, it's that God is at work shaping me and molding me. Hebrews chapter 12 says that God disciplines his children. He comes at times in our lives and says, we're going to bring some correction here. Why? To bring a harvest of righteousness down the road. That's why. John 15, Jesus says, he's using that picture of the, the, the vine. And what does he say? Those branches that are in him, his father comes and what? Prunes. Trims some things back. Gets rid of some things that are there. Why? That there is room for more spiritual health and growth and fruitfulness. 
God is at work in my circumstances and through my circumstances. God allows things into my life, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, God has permitted this thing, this this messenger of Satan that torments me. We didn't know if that was an emotional thing or a physical thing or a health issue or what it was, but he pleaded with God to get rid of it. And what did God say? No. Why? Because with that there in your life, every time that comes, instead of surrendering to that attack and saying, oh, God must be against me. You turn that around and you use that as a reminder, God says, that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is stronger than whatever this is coming your way. And I will walk you through it. I will walk you through it. And so when my circumstances are difficult and things are chipping away at me and I'm feeling just discouraged and worn down, I say, yes. But it's in these moments, in these situations, that I am reminded of God's precious grace present and at work in my life and he is bigger than this and he's going to walk me through it and so I cling to him and I thank him and I trust him and I trust him John chapter 9 man born blind and the disciples said whoa what was the deal with this guy's parents they must have been some serious sinners to have a child born blind or this guy what's what's the word on him I mean, there has to be some serious sin behind this for him to be born to suffer like this. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 no. He's walked through these circumstances his whole life for this moment so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And Jesus heals him. And we say, really? He was allowed to go through all those years of suffering like that, so that in that moment God might glorify himself by healing him and helping him for his good? Yes. Yes. It wasn't that God was against him his whole life. It's that God was preparing him for that moment, that he would be used to bring glory to God, glory to Jesus in that healing. Paul is writing these words in Romans chapter 8 with a heavy heart. He wants desperately to be in Rome, visiting these Christians he hasn't met yet. He is still three long, weary years away from actually getting to Rome that he might meet them. And you know what's going to happen? When he finally gets there, it's not because he's going to arrive as an honored guest. He's going to be dragged there as a prisoner after a lot more suffering. He has no idea what's coming. But he does know that in it all, God is working for his good to conform him more to be like Jesus. And so, friends, when you have that attack and the evil one slings that dart at you, God's against you. Look at your circumstances. You take that shield of faith and you say, no. I believe verse 29 of Romans chapter 8 as well as verse 28. And I will look again and I will see that God is at work in my heart and for my heart. He's working for his glory with eternity in view. It's not just about these few years here and now. He's working in my life for eternity, eternal purposes. And so I know that God is both with me and for me. And I reject your argument. And I will cling to the shield of faith and I will watch that arrow bounce away. It's amazing when you read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And you ask yourself, how many people would rather walk through life on a smooth road, sailing along on their own 
instead of walking down a rough path, but with the shepherd. Don't let Satan lure you into those dark corners of thinking. God is not against you. God is for you. And whatever's going on as his child, whatever's going on in your life, we might not see it right now. We might not know exactly what the purpose is, but we do know that ultimately he is shaping you to be more like Christ. And so we cling to him. Well, as that arrow bounces away, we turn and we see over our shoulder a second one coming in. And we lift up that shield of faith to encounter it. Verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Here's another arrow that comes our way. Fine. You say God's at work in your life? Well, how about this? I don't see it, Satan says, because you have sinned. Some child of God you are. I saw what you did there. I heard what you said there. I see what's cooking that nobody else sees. Huh. All right. That's what you're hiding. That's what's going on in your life. Are you kidding me? You did that? You've sinned. You're guilty. The day's coming where you're going to have to stand and be judged and condemned for that. And he starts beating you down with that. And that these arrows keep coming. And they keep coming. And Paul says, what are we going to do against these charges? What do we say to these things? Well, first of all, if God is for us, who is against us? There's two answers to that question. The first is, if God is for us, who cares who's against us? <laughs> if God is for us, he's greater than anything that could come against us. So if God's for us, it doesn't matter what is mounted in, in an attack on us. But then he gives us the specific answer. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, it's not Christ. It's not the Spirit of God beating you up. It is the accuser of the brethren. Satan's the one who comes and says, you've sinned, judgment is coming, you're guilty and beyond hope and rescue and redemption. In Revelation chapter 12, still future, John writes this, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan is the one facing judgment. Satan is the one who has been condemned. Satan is the one, not God's children, who is facing, who is facing ultimate judgment from God. He is the one. He's trying to distract you. He's trying to weigh you down. He's accusing you day and night before the Father. Look at them, they're a mess. Look at what they just did. But, but, it is God who justifies, verse 33 tells us. It is God who declares us righteous. 
A lot of people want to justify themselves or justify their actions. The word justify means to declare righteous. I'm going to show you how right I really am in doing what I'm doing and saying what I'm saying. That's not what this is saying. It is God who declares his children righteous because God is the one who condemns sin. It is God who had declared us all lost and judged and condemned. And it is he who sent his son to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And God looks and says, no, no, he is in Christ. I look at him and I see the righteousness of Jesus. She is mine. I look at her and I see the righteousness of Jesus. It is God who justifies. Not only that, Jesus, the one who died and who rose again to conquer sin and pay its consequences for us and to offer us life eternal, he is the one who stands at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And so when the accuser comes day and night and says, but look at him, he's a mess, look at her, look at what she did now, Jesus is there to say, she is mine. I paid for that. That is forgiven. She stands in my righteousness. When the accuser comes and says, look at what he said now, Jesus is there saying, hold it. Hold it. He's mine. We traded places. I went to the cross for him. He is now mine. He is in Christ. He is in me. He stands in my righteousness. That's been dealt with. So who's going to accuse? The one who himself stands guilty and condemned without remedy before God. And he's trying to distract you and weigh you down and discourage you. You say you're forgiven? Come on. You've asked God to forgive that a few times. You say you're forgiven? I don't think so. How can you forgive yourself for that? You say you're forgiven, but I don't know. That was pretty big. That was pretty big. Have you heard the name Nick Lutz? Nick Lutz is a university student at the University of Central Florida. Nick Lutz is an interesting guy. He received a letter last year. He received a letter, four-page handwritten letter from an ex-girlfriend. And she wrote this four-page letter to uh, apologize for all the mistakes she made in their relationship. Four pages. Heartfelt, handwritten, she lays it all out. You know what Nick Lutz did with that letter? Nick Lutz got out a red pen. He graded her letter. And he returned it. He marked up her apology letter and gave it a D minus, and then he put it back in the mail. He was critical about several aspects of her letter. He said, at first, you didn't indent at the beginning. He went through and corrected her grammar throughout. Then he talked about her strong hypothesis, but how he really didn't see her filling up on, uh, following through on this. He said she was contradicting herself throughout. He put a big D minus on the bottom and he put it in the mail. As if that wasn't humiliating enough, before he put it back in the mail, he got out his phone. And he took some pictures of the letter and his corrections on it, and then he tweeted that out so that family and friends and everybody would see what she had written and how he corrected it because her apology clearly was not good enough. You know, Satan wants you to think that God handles your confession of sin 
like Nick Lutz. Whoa, just a second. Let's, <laughs> I don't think so. Not good enough. We talked about this before. That's not what happens. Satan says, God would never accept that. Look at yourself. Look at what you've done. And if you are indeed God's child, when that arrow comes, what do you say? You take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and you say, well, I am told in 1 John chapter 1 that it's only if I deny my sin that I got a problem. I'm told that if I confess my sin, God is faithful and He will forgive my sin and He'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And that's exactly what I did and so I have absolute confidence that that's exactly what He did for me. I'm told in John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast away. I'm told in Psalm 103, verse 12, that as his child, as his child, here's what happened. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's gotten rid of my sin. It is gone. I carry it no more. And I believe Romans chapter 8, back in verse 1, which says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you can stop with the condemnation because you're the one. You're the one facing the ultimate judgment. As God's forgiven child, there is now no condemnation. We saw that last week in John chapter 3. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? He'd already condemned it. It's already judged and condemned. He sent Jesus to rescue. That through him we might be saved. That's why he sent his son. That's why he sent his son. You have sinned. You're guilty. What do you say? Yes. But you know what's even more important than that? I am forgiven. I'm forgiven. And the shield of faith knocks away a second flaming arrow. And even as it does, we look over our other shoulder and here comes the third. Here comes the third. That's nice. That's nice. You say God's working in these difficult circumstances. You say you're forgiven. Ah, well, I've seen you. And based on your track record, look at you. There's absolutely no way you're going to make it through to the end. Oh, you think you're hanging on now and you're doing okay now. There's no way you're going to make it. I mean, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 13, he who endures to the end will be saved. Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 says you are, you are one of those ones that has been reconciled if in fact you continue in the faith. And so what do we say to that? We say yes. Yes, he who jurors to the end will be saved. I, I'm reconciled if I continue in the faith and so I cling to him with white knuckles and I follow him faithfully and carefully and when I, when I sin and I rebel against him and I do my own thing I come and I confess it humbly before him and I ask for forgiveness and I turn my back on it and say lead me out of here I don't want to do that I don't want to live there I don't want to walk this way again but at the same time I know that in John chapter 10 Jesus says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand and I and the Father are one. And so even as I am clinging to Him, I turn and I find out that it is actually He who is holding me. 
How will I endure to the end? By clinging to my Savior and walking with Him and knowing that even as I do, I'm sitting in the palm of His hand. Secure. Safe in His grip. Safe in His grip. I have a friend who signs every letter, every email, in his grip, Marty. In his grip. I was in early high school when Canada's Wonderland opened north of Toronto. And uh, boy, was that a big deal. <laughs> Woo! We couldn't, we saw the commercials. You know, we saw the ads in the paper, we saw the commercials on TV, and it was like, okay, we got to get there, like, you know, as soon as this opens. But uh, we didn't get there right away. And a couple of my friends, a few of my friends from our youth group, went to a different high school, and their high school actually took a trip, and they got to go to Wonderland before me. And they went. And they, they went, and they spent the whole day riding these roller coasters. They pretended it was some kind of science thing, right? Talk about physics. They were riding roller coasters, right? That's what they were doing. And then a few weeks later, about a month after it opened, our youth group went. We loaded up on a bus, and off we went. And I was just like, whoa, I had never been. I had never been on a roller coaster. And I thought, okay, my friends told me how amazing this is. All right, boys, lead the way. Let's go. They said, okay, we got the perfect one to start with. I'm with you guys. Let's go. We got in line, and we waited and waited. Got to our turn. We climbed into this little train, and I sat down, and I wedged way down in. And I'm nice and tight in there, and the, the seats are nice and high. And then this metal bar came down, and it came down right over. This U-shaped bar came down over my shoulders, and it clicked, and it locked. And I, it's not that I'm claustrophobic, but I don't like tight spaces. And so I'm like, hey, I can't get out of here, right? And so I'm pushing on it. I'm going, this, this thing's solid. You can't unlock it. My friend beside me is going, no, you're not going to move that. Like, you're in till it's over, buddy. Hang on, right? And off we went. And we go slowly chugging up this hill. And we're getting higher and higher. And I'm looking around the park. And I'm seeing further and further. And I'm going, just a second. What did I get into myself into here? What did you drag me to? And he goes, well, I figured if we started with a really good one, then everything else will just be a piece of cake for you the rest of the day. Thanks. We got to the top. Over we go. And we go racing down this hill. Speeding down this hill. Right up into the first loop. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Like, what did you sign me up for? And I was holding on with white knuckles. And I'm hanging on to this bar like this, and I'm going, Wah! And then, as we came out of the first loop, I thought, hold it. Why am I holding on to this bar so tight? Because I'm looking at people with their hands in the air, and they're not falling out. And I'm remembering that I got this huge, heavy bar over me, locked in place, and I'm not going anywhere. Now, it was a fast unpredictable bumpy ride and I still hung on tight <laughs> but the reality was something stronger than me was actually holding on to me even as I was holding on to it when the evil one comes and says you'll never make it to the end you're no good you're too weak you say as God's child I will cling to him and I will follow him faithfully. But I also know that it is he, it is he who holds me. It is he who holds me. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And we take up the shield of faith. And we cling to Him and follow Him. But we know that He is the one who is holding me. Satan wants to attack your identity as a child of God. He wants to pull this little identity theft, confuse you, discourage you, distract you, deceive you. It is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who will either convict you of not being his child and lead you in the direction of becoming his child, or it is the Spirit of God that will testify with yours and say, I am his child, you are mine. But when those three arrows come following up right on its heels, God is against you. Look at your difficult circumstances. No, God is at work in and through my circumstances to make me more like Christ. When that arrow comes and says, yes, but you're a sinner. Look at you. You're no good. You could say, whoa, hey, you you have no idea how ungood I am. (laughs) Absolutely. But I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And when Satan says, yeah, well, you're never going to make it to the end. You're tired. You're getting worn down. There's a long road ahead. And you think it's been rough now? Whoo, let's see what comes next. You say, I will cling to my Savior. Thank you very much. And I know that even as I do, I am sitting safely and securely in the palm of his hand. And not you or anything else is capable of getting me out. Are you truly God's child? Not have you called yourself God's child, are you hanging out with God's children, but are you God's child? Have you received Jesus for who he is, King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of God, only Savior? Have you believed in his name that he, in fact, is the one who comes to save his people from their sins? Have you responded to him and turned your back on doing things your own way and surrendered to him and say, you've got everything. I believe not just that you came, but I believe who you are and what you've done, and I entrust everything to you. If you have, the Bible says, God says, that he has given you the right to be called his child. And if so, then the Bible says that God will not let you go. So whatever is going on, and whatever Satan or anyone else has to say about it, eyes up. Eyes up. He, he is faithful. He is the one. He is the one who will hold you. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Will you listen to the Spirit of God who comes to to confirm and assure and to point you to truth? Or will you listen to Satan and his lies? to discourage and condemn, distract and confuse you. Brothers and sisters, soak in the word of God. Do not listen to Satan. Do not listen to the world around you. Receive and believe 
Jesus for who he is and then trust that he will in fact hold you fast and that you can take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation and stand quite firmly on the promises of Almighty God. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.